Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the 84th edition of Cinema Effect. I'm Zach, and I'm joined by my secret twin brother, Jaden. The fuck is that? And I may be speaking to his 160th clone, a.k.a. Fitzy, a.k.a. Liam. Hello. Oh, right. Oh, fuck. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) A bit slow slow on the uptake. How How do you feel about, are you happy with your respective resignations there? Like, are you happy being Borden, Fitzy? Oh, no, no. You're having me Angie Fitzy. You're having me Hugh Jackman. Or do you want to swap? Does that mean I'm alive? If I'm... But you said I'm a clone, so does that mean I'm dead or... Well, you're alive now because I'm speaking to you, but you're probably going to be put in the tank afterwards this... Uh, after this episode immediately, you know. Manly and will physically... Me and Zach will physically dip you into the tank. Oh. Yeah, and drag you into that hall of water tanks. Remember that? Well, there's a 50-50 chance every time, right? So... That's right. That's right. Actually, horrifying. But, ladies and gentlemen, this is Cinema Effect, the podcast where we review and talk about a different movie every single Monday. And this week, if you couldn't guess already, maybe, that movie is The Prestige, which opened in the US on the 20th of October 2006. It was directed by Christopher Nolan. Ever heard of him? Don't think so. Uh, he's got a bright future. It is a drama, and the synopsis reads, after a tragic accident, two stage magicians in 1890s London engage in a battle to create the ultimate illusion while sacrificing everything they have to outwit each other. Wow. Wow. Jaden, how many times have you seen The Prestige and what did you think of it on this viewing? Um, this is my fourth time watching it. And, like, only just now I realise, like, like, I watched that movie with, like, no thoughts in my head at all. Like, I did not think of it in, like, I, like, I just watched it and just, like, enjoyed it. And, like, I've taken in, like, nothing at all, <laughs> kind of. Because like now I'm just thinking like fuck what are my points about like about the movie like um I, I don't know I, I think it's fantastic um truly you know it's it's hard to say you know it, it ranks amongst the best of Nolan when he's got such a strong you know filmography um but I will say that you know I, I think most I think I think I think all three of us are but I think I'm probably the biggest you know Nolan dick writer here um yeah so yeah I don't know it's just brilliant I don't know. Yeah. I would like to fight you on that personally. I'd like to battle the death who is the biggest Nolan Dick rider, but you'd probably triumph actually. Uh, Fitzy, I pose the same question to you. Well, I don't know how many times I've seen it. Certainly a few. I also think it's really good. I also, yeah, I didn't really think of it. I don't have much notes as well, but I think there's a lot to talk about. But yeah, I think it's really exciting film, really thrilling and. You know, it has all the ingredients, so, yeah. It does, it does. Uh, I've only seen it twice. Um, it's no secret amongst us how much I love this movie. My rewatch of it actually sparked us doing this episode, which worked out great. But The Prestige, you know, it follows a common thread with Nolan movies for me where, you know, I, I watch movies for a lot of reasons, obviously. Everyone does, I think. But Nolan creates films which encompass everything I like about movies, you know, interesting concepts and time periods, you know, here that being the the world of stage magic and all that and illusion and all that cool stuff that I, I like being exposed to, especially in the in the 1890s. Um, engaging stories and character, drama, great performances, of course, and just kill just a killer narrative, you know, that's super super exciting, constantly thrilling. Um, not a moment of boredom 
not boredom, not a moment of boredom to be had in this movie, you know. Um, so the film ha- it has everything in spades, in my opinion, and I'm, of course, most excited just about welcoming old mate Chris to our, to our show, to the, to the lore of cinema effect. It's about time. It's long overdue, in my opinion. So that's pretty neat. You sort of already, you touched on it a little bit, Jane, but I'm going to, I'm going to just straight up, I'm going to ask it. Like, how would you, how would you rank this amongst the rest of his filmography? You know, like, not like, I'm not not necessarily an exact placement, but like, where are you thinking? Is it sort of mid for you then? Ah, fuck. I don't know. It's, 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 it feels disrespectful to place it low, but like, I just think about the rest of his films that I love and, you know, just Dunkirk. Yeah, we'll, we'll chuck it in a. We'll chuck it in the. Uh, I, I, yeah, fuck it. I know. Um, okay. Third. We'll say third for the sake of this episode. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. I, I, I struggle with it too a little bit, just because. I mean, it's probably. It's probably mid, you know? Maybe like upper mid. Yeah, like it's probably like maybe fifth for me, you know, in that sort of range. But. This is also one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. So, like, mm. if you want to, like, if that just puts everything into context for everyone out there, then <laughs> it's uh, just goes to show. I think everything else. I don't know. Do, how do you, how are you about it, Fitzy? Are you? I feel like you put it higher. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I'd have to rewatch Memento. Yes, yeah, and Dunkirk, but I think it's second to Memento. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just let's just start with the cast. It's it's stacked. It's absurd. The the amount of amazing actors in this movie is great. But then they all land. Absolutely everyone delivers one hundred percent in this movie. For me, if I had to pick a favorite performance and, and and role character, all of it in this movie, it's it's definitely Michael Caine. It's it's by far my favorite Michael Caine performance. You know, Michael Caine's terrific, obviously, but I'm only really familiar with his work as an older gentleman. Um, and of that filmography, I'm aware of, uh, he's, he's just, he's perfect in this movie, man. Like his line delivery is so believable at all times. He just fits into this world of characters so well. And his dialogue, which bookends the movie, he, the, uh, the, the spiel he gives about the, the pledge, the turn and the prestige, like it's just, it's perfect. It's so, I just find it so engaging to listen to him talk about that stuff. So he's probably my favorite, but there are, no lack of great options. I don't know. How do, how do you, who's your favorite character or performance, both, whatever you want fits here. You, you're, you're partial to Christian Bale, probably. Partial? Is that good? Is that when you're like? I think so. Right? Oh, you can... yeah. I think it is. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Don't, um... don't write a comment about that, please. Don't <laughs> mm, correct us. Um, oh, I really like David Bowie. As Nikola Tesla, it's so it's so yeah, it's so weird, but it's so perfect. Like I don't even think of it as Bowie. He's just you know, because he's so just um out there, I guess. Um, but like it's it's a nice performance. Like he's not crazy as well, which was good. No. Like he wasn't like a crazy scientist. He was just kind of you know doing his thing. But he's like very believable as Tesla, I guess. Oh yeah, I think Scarlett Johansson blends in really well, um, really good as well. Like I forget that she's in this, and yeah, her British accent's pretty good, you know. It's pretty solid. Mm. But with David Bowie, like I, 
you know, I didn't know anything about David Bowie. I still don't really, to be honest. But like, the first time, I especially didn't know anything about him. Like, I didn't know who that was at all. It just fits in the movie perfectly. You know, he doesn't doesn't come across like this is some weird extra personality in the movie that feels like out of place in some way. You know, um, it really works. I know Nolan had to do some convincing to get him into the movie. I believe I don't think it was easy to get him there, but he did a great job. Uh, what about you, Jaden? I, I I'll say Christian Bale, but like it's it's for his like it's for like the whispered moments, you know, like like the are you watching closely and like the I think the reveal of like that he planted the journal, the uh the, as you're reading this, Andrea, yes, you Andrea, like that's like as that's spoken by him, like it's such a you know he's not even on the screen, it's just Jackman's face and Bale's like you know voice, and it's just such a such a fantastic reveal. Um. That they use again, you know. Um, it's it's f- so funny they do it to each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll say Bale. Sure. Yeah, great choice. He's great. I um uh, and but uh, it, it also feels wrong to like not mention Hugh Jackman too because it's just so fun for me anyway seeing Hugh Jackman in an Nolan movie and Hugh Jackman's obviously terrific. We all know this, but he's just so great. Uh, uh, Angie might be. I mean, of the two, I, I actually prefer Angie of the two leads. I think. I don't know. Like, there's something. Like, I think he's more in the wrong, probably. Oh, I don't know. They're both pretty terrible, actually. But um, like, I, I feel like the audience is probably maybe a little bit more inclined to root for Bale. Maybe. Yeah. That's sort of the way I feel about it. No, but, you are. You are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But because we see a lot of Angie and his time in Colorado, and like he, we see him constantly like reacting to the way Bale's like, – because it's really Bale doing the transported man, that's Bale's thing, and Angie is the one who's trying to react to it So it's and escalate it from there, you know. Um, so I feel like the audience is sort of positioned that way, even though, like, he's the one whose wife dies, you know. So it's like that that's the event that kickstarts everything. And obviously that that whole thing with the, the, the knot being tied is – Really, really cool too. But at the end of the day, it was one of the Christian Bale's faults, you know, one of the one of the brothers. We don't know which one. The, the thing with that actually is that I, I can't remember if I'm just forgetting this. You guys saw it more recently than me, but was that a situation where he never knew if he t- if he which knot he tied because the one of the, the other brother wouldn't say. It's got something to do with oh. the fact. It's got something to do with the fact that, like, which one of the twins did it, right? I just thought he wasn't wanting to admit it, but... Oh, okay. okay. could be right. I don't know. Because, like, when they showed the knots being tied, um, he, like, like, Bale looks to her and he, she's kind of, like, she kind of nods or whatever, like, gives him the confirmation to, like, do the... Not and then yeah. he, cha- he changes it and then does the the, the harder knot, you know. So yeah. I don't know how he would forget that, but maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe it's the other brother or whatever. Yeah, just because I thought like it could be that every time he's asked in the movie, unless they both sort of did, uh, that they both decide to stick to the one story and he, maybe, but like the brother, whenever he's asked, it's the brother that didn't do it, so he actually doesn't know because the other brother won't admit it to him. You know, I, I, oh, okay. I, I, I don't know if that, that could no, be. No, yeah, because I believe it because it makes it's funny because like then he's like, 
I, I've been asking myself that, you know, this whole time. And, like, it's, he's asking his brother. He's that, asking yeah. his brother. Right. That, okay, that makes sense, that, yeah. Okay. Well, he also says, like, yeah. one half of me is convinced and one, the other half isn't. Yeah. And there's, like, there's a lot of lines like that in the film, like, talking about his, like, halves, but. Yes. I think sometimes it's just like like winking at the audience. But. It's so funny how thickly layered on it is and how obvious yeah, yeah, it yeah. is like on rewatches. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's something Absolutely. you talked about like the the other week about like how how obvious some of it becomes and like like how do you, how do you fucking miss this, you know? A hundred percent. But like yeah, no, it's it's I think that speaks to the quality of it. So did you guys for if you can try and put yourselves back in the shoes of watching it the first time, did you you didn't see any of this coming either? I certainly didn't. Oh, no, no. Because I feel like, you know, in these situations, there's always like that one guy who's always like, oh, it was obvious to me, you know, like, come on, come on, you know. Um, <laughs> I, I totally agree. I can't believe on the rewatch it's so obvious, and it, but it actually made it really enjoyable, like watching it that way, um, especially watching it with my brother who hadn't seen the movie and sort of like, like, is he noticing? He obviously, he definitely wasn't because I, I wasn't either, you know, that first time. But it, it's so funny. All those other lines, like the most obvious ones, um, other than like Christian Bale literally standing there in makeup and it's like the most obvious thing I've ever seen um, with, with his weird little mustache. I still don't think it's that obvious because that's something you said and like, I, I was, like, it is, you know, I think if you take a look for a second, it, it, it does become a bit apparent. But like, yeah. you know, like first glance, you know, I, I, I never would pick it. No, that's no. First glance, you're right. It's when like um, it's probably like I don't know, two thirds of the way through the movie, we start getting longer shots. Like there's one shot, I believe, like where he's the, the real real hasn't happened yet. Um, mm. it's probably still twenty fifteen minutes away or something. But well, he's he's having the conversation with his brother at, at the prison gate, and there that's is the a one. close up. That, there that's is the one that made me notice. Yeah, yeah, it's like, but I didn't even notice the first time then. But like that was. Like, how did I not see that the first time? It's like the camera's right in his damn face. It's clearly Chris. Oh, it's like they, they tell you from the start, you know, are you watching closely? You know, the, the, the magician pulls you in and like, but it, but then, you know, they say the audience doesn't really want to know. So he shows it to you and yeah. you just don't want to acknowledge it. And like, it's just so fucking clever. You know, it's, just, it's so clever. It's, 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 yeah. it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Oh, uh, the, the twists are so good. I mean, that's what makes the movie so good in my opinion is that the twists are really good. On just a general, like, anyone can enjoy this movie level of, like, do you want to just watch a cool movie with neat characters that's really exciting and that has a cool twist? Like, everyone loves cool twists, right? And just for that, like, surface level alone, like, the movie's awesome and totally delivers in that respect. But then it's not one of those situations where, like, the more you think about the twist, the dumber it gets or, like, it, it's obnoxious to rewatch or something. Like, the more you, the more I think about it anyway. And the, the twin brother twist is the most obvious one, obviously, but the cloning is a twist too, you know, like they sort of each, both of the two leads sort of have their own, they have very parallel stories and then they both sort of have a twist in the same way that they both are reading each other's journals and they both troll each other with the journals. Like there's, there's clear similarities. Um, the twin brother one's obviously the, the biggest standout, but like the more I think about it, I just, I, I just love it even more. And especially this time noticing like tons of, foreshadowing moments of course you know there's the there's the kid that notices the bird and and, and cries and says where's his brother mm. you know oh. so yeah. good yeah. so good and it's like <laughs> god damn dude um and I, I love the uh the chinaman as well 
that that yeah. I believe that's in the first act. That's yeah. a great little scene. That's a great little scene. I think that's a genius thing to include because I mean it's just fascinating by itself that someone would do that. But of course, it's completely dedication to the craft. It's what it's what uh what Borden Alfred Borden. It's confusing that uh, there's Alfred in this movie too, you know. Um, but oh, I, I I just love that. That's what, exactly what he does, you know. It's crazy. Um, but oh, actually, hang on. Let me let me read it here. This is just a little aside. But uh, Chung Ling Su was a stage character created by William Ellsworth Robinson, a white man who disguised himself as Chinese man, as a Chinese man, to cash in on audiences' enthusiasm for the exotic. Robinson lived as Chung, never breaking character while in public. He died in March 1918 when a bullet catch trick went wrong. My God, I've been shot were his last words and the first English he had spoken on stage in 19 years. So I thought that was really funny. But people, this shit was real. People did this, <laughs> which is like sort of grounds in in a, in a reality I wasn't aware of, but it's also really, it's also wild, you know. While we're sort of talking about the twists though and, and this sort of stuff and I'll just I'll I'll just go deep here if you guys will indulge me a little bit. Um, I've seen others over the years deconstruct this movie and talk about what it's doing structurally and touching ideas. I've seen this comment before where people talk about how it's really a movie about filmmaking, you know, and those aren't original ideas to this review or, or to to me. I'm not making that claim, but. I want to expand upon them a little bit, actually, um, in terms of some of the lines we've already talked about, because the film is obviously structured as a trick. You know, it's repeated over and over again in the film. You know, are you watching closely? Obviously, but that's the most obvious one. But obsession is dumb. It's a young man's game. It won't lead you anywhere repeated over and over again in this movie and it leads all these characters to misery um and in that way i think the film makes the case that both of the two leads sacrifice equal amounts in dedication to their craft you know they lost wives you know their sanity everything you can name you know their careers um they both had their trick and their method which they hid from each other and the viewer trolled each other about the diary, like I already said. There are so many similarities between them. But Angie makes that argument that Jaden brought up that, you know, they do this for the audience and to see their faces, right? That's what that's the case he makes at the end of the movie, which I find fascinating and which, in my opinion, changes the way I look at the movie. Because um, the whole time it's like you sort of, at least I was sort of thinking like, oh, is this movie about you know, obsession and it's dumb and why do people bother? Why would you do this to yourself? You know, what's driving these two men? But Angie makes the argument that the entertainment of the audience is what's driving it. And I'm sure that's why, you know, the filmmakers took us on this journey in the first place. I, I think that's actually quite a, it's a really clever thing to include. The Nolan brothers in what they're, they're speaking to us in that moment, I think. Um, of course, Jonah, who wrote, who wrote the script as well. I, I think that's great. Wait, that the what film you, is what essentially Jonah, Jonathan. Oh, sorry, sorry. 
<laughs> I sound like I'm like friends with them, don't I? I'm like best buds. Chris always calls him Jonah and they call it in his book. Sorry. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> Sorry. I've, just because I've read that book. Jonathan Nolan, of course, yes. You know, the film is essentially in a lot of ways about our desire to be entertained, the ways in which the audience consumes show business being something intrinsic to us as human beings. Um, back then, you know, it was going to the theatre in London. Now it's us sitting on our couches looking at television screens. But what is the difference in those two experiences? I'd argue not very much. And it all comes back around to the, you know, we want to be fooled line, of course, which is so completely and utterly true in every way. That's why we engage in cinema and theatre, any art form in the first place. So in, in that way, I think the film is really about the audience. It's really about our love of of theatre and illusion and entertainment. You know, I think that's really what the film's about at the end of the day, which I sort of took out of it this time. So I apologise for going on and on. I, I, I know that you guys said you didn't have any deep notes, so that was sort of my version of a deep note. I hope that was okay. I, I don't know. Does that... Does that make sense, Fitzy? Does that make sense? Um, Well, you're asking, like, what drives them. Um, Like, I think, like, one obvious difference between the two is that um, Angier is more, you know, as they say in the movie, like, he's more theatrical, he's more performance-based, and um, Borden is more, I don't know, he enjoys the like how good the trick is more than Angier is. Angier is more about how much they entertained, and Warden's more about <clears throat> you know like how insolvable is this? I guess or I don't know. There's definitely so, like, like a difference between them, but well, if that's yeah. the case, would then like would Borden be like the writer, and then Angier would be a director? Kind of is that probably? Is that probably what, what you yeah. I can see that? Terms I like can the see roles. That. Yeah. I yeah. can see that. That's interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, it's Angier is sort of, they say it, he's the showman. Borden is the, is focused the on the genius. Technical. Yeah, exactly. The execute, the execute. Oh, I guess, no, the showmanship would be the execution. But the actual, the art of the trick itself, you know, as opposed to nothing else. That's why there's those good scenes where, you know, he's like he's doing his tricks in front of like these rowdy audiences in in the basements. You know, because he can't. But his his tricks are objectively great. You know, yeah. he can't sell them. Plus, he's like he explains them like the mechanics of like the um the bullet catching trick, right? So he's kind of like the person who knows everything about how these tricks work and like yeah but, um yeah. But one thing I want to say though, I want to correct something I said earlier about. Um, Angier, I think that every time he did those tricks with the transported man, like he in that position, he has to die there, right? Because he's like he goes under the stage every time, and then this is my interpretation anyway. Um, like another clone, the clone is the one that gets like transported somewhere else. That's how I saw it anyway, because like, why would like with the original machine, if you say like the cat was there, why would a clone get spawned in that spot and then the original get like transported? You know what I mean? Yes. So, so like every time, wouldn't he have to know that he would die? He would go into the, you know, into the, the bottom of the stage? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, okay. 
That's yeah, interesting. Well, yeah, why would the original yeah be up be moved to the rafters exactly? Right. Well, like, why would a like a clone take that original spot? Like, how would that physically work? I mean, it's magic. Like, it doesn't, or it's, it's science or whatever. But no, but even within the logic, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. You know how like in in, in Invincible, there's those two clone brothers, and like they're fighting over who's the original. Yeah. Like maybe it's a thing yeah. like that of where like. Like you know, neither wants to recognize the other as the original. So like this, this idea that is fifty fifty every time is that, uh, you know, maybe I am the original and I got lucky that last night of the performance. You know, yeah. Like that's the other thing you might not actually know because, like every time he gets transported, he's obviously going to think that that's himself. You know. Yeah. Like there's no reason to. You can't really know whether or not you're the clone. So you can't really know whether or not he gets transported. Or not, I guess. Like, yeah, isn't isn't there a line? Um, I don't know who says it. Maybe Andy Circus or someone. But where he asks, like, which hat is the original, and he said they both are. Mm. Is that well, a line? In oh, the- yeah, like they're even, all your hands. Yeah. Like, there's no. When, it doesn't matter. Like, there's no difference. Yeah, because even when Hugh Jackman first tested out, and then the one that stood in the machine, and like he sees his copy, he goes for the gun, but the copy says, "No, no, wait, I'm the original first. It's like it's kind of from the start, you know, like it's kind of. Yeah. If you're standing on the stage, I think you know that you're going to drop, but he seems to think he doesn't because at the end he says it's 50-50, right? Mm. So maybe he just doesn't know, yeah. Maybe because 1890s London, they're all just dumb as shit at math. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he just had no idea what 50-50 meant. He just heard it somewhere. Yeah. that's pretty funny. But speaking of those elements, though, um, like specifically the cloning element of it, it's the most out there the movie gets, I think, you know, in terms of like it is it is the sci-fi concept of the movie. It is the, you know, it's just magic, literally, right? Like or, or whatever, science, whatever you want to it, – it, it's obviously – it's not possible as far as I'm aware, you know. Um, uh, does that – bother you at all if it's here in the movie just because i feel like i can see an argument it, uh, it's fine for me but where it's like this feels a bit out of place you know like the rest of the magic's pretty grounded and i like that about it and then we sort of introduce this magic machine into it you know no i love it because it's like it is about the the like the grounded like magic and the, co- the competition or whatever but like like the film isn't that it doesn't go into the logistics of like everything that happens. It's not like it's not that grounded, and it's it is about theatricality as well, as you said. Like, um, especially with Angie's character, like it's good that Angie was the one that was getting cloned, and the other way around. Or like, I guess it's good that you know, Borden didn't they didn't do some shit with Borden getting cloned or something because that would just be that might feel out of place or something. But like, I do. Yeah, I do like the the magical angle. They set up every time that it's in use that, you know, everything else can be explained, but this is one true element of magic. So, like, the fact that the movie sets it up as, like, you know, the one bizarre element, you know, I think they, they acknowledge that. I think yeah, I think it all fits yeah. in, you know. That's that's true. That's true. I really like the, like, the whole thing with Angie trying to figure out Borden's version of the transported man and, like, but Angie is constantly thinking to himself and saying out loud, like, there's something else to it. There's something more to it. It's not a double. It's not a double. And, like, Michael Caine's standing there constantly telling him it's a double, you know. Mm. So it, it, it is cool that 
in that case, you know, like it, the simplest explanation is the correct one, obviously. But Angie like goes above and beyond to, you know, make that the magic of it, the reality, you know, just to challenge it. It's pretty cool. I think the movie has incredible editing. I think the amount of time jumps and, and, and timelines that we're constantly sapping back and forth between, it's it's ludicrous. As a matter of fact, um, the editing includes 146 time jump cuts in which the next shot either flashes back or skips ahead to another time period uh, on the timeline. This averages almost one timeline jump per minute. Lee Smith, ludicrous. baby. Is he the editor? He did, yeah. Thank you for shouting him out. I didn't know his name. He did a terrific job. Um, it's a, it might be some of the best editing I've ever seen. It, it throws so much at you. It throws the bloody kitchen sink at you at the start, especially. It's like, what the fuck is happening? Like, you know, like you're, you're getting journals and they're in prison, and then but they're 10 years back sitting in the stage at the start, sitting in the audience. It's like, what the friggin' hell is going on? Um, but it's confusing in the best way. It's obviously very intentionally confusing, and, and it works. Um, for the film to function as a three-act trick, it is and wants to be the construction of the story and order of events, much like the trick, which is, I love that meta element of it. Like, it has to be perfect. It has to be perfect. And, and it is. It's never frustrating. It's never confusing. It is, it's, it's never confusing in a frustrating way, is the best way to put it. And everything's right in front of you the whole time. You have all the pieces. Each subsequent reveal in the plot ups itself and builds the tension and investment constantly. You know, it's easy to think about the big plot twists right at the end of the movie, but there are little reveals all the time in the movie. Like the, the, everything with the diaries, you know, what they reveal, like we, in the way like reveals come in out of order elements. Like we learn stuff in Colorado Springs, even though we've, we've been seeing stuff after that. It's all, it's, it's insane, but it all totally works and helps make the movie, um, as exciting as it is, I think. And then the way that links into the ending, using the same scene from the beginning where Michael Caine explains the trick, but Borden walks in the room. Mm. So, so good. And, and that is so satisfying as a viewer to see that because um, he's like in the room with all the birds and stuff that they kill. Yeah, and the daughter's there. That, that, that's, that's great stuff. No, I mean, I like how it sets up. Like Angie in the hotel, and then like Borden in the in the prison. Like they're the only like, cause they're the most like stable like points, you know. Like the story kind yes. of goes all over the place from there. But like as a viewer, you understand that okay, like Borden's in prison, Angie is, um, you know, at this hotel like earlier in the film. Because, like, obviously at the start, you see, you think that um, Borden is killed. Or, you know, Angie's dead and Borden is there. So Borden's in prison because of it. Exactly. And, and to, when you get to the end, you realize how completely wrong that is, you know? That's, like, not the reality of what's happening at all. Is, mm. is, is I was thinking, like, the, uh, the clone in that scene must have just walked away, you know? Because he would, like... Because Angie's clone would have been just spawned somewhere, like in the audience, or like you know, in backstage somewhere. Well, not backstage, but like where where we get spawned, like somewhere in the theater, I guess. Yeah. Mm. And then he would hear the yelling, and he was just you know, he'd have to just walk away, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're all the coroners, like gathering my body and determining me dead. But I'm just like, 
I'm just going to go into hiding. Yeah. Become that mm. Lord person, Lord Codwell or whatever his name was. In the, like towards the end, like when, when like when he's get, when he's going when he's going to be hanged, does he say like you know he's an innocent man or whatever? Like does he say he's innocent? Does he actually physically say it out loud? I don't remember. Um, there's that scene where Andrew comes to the prison and he has like a like he tells the guard he's innocent and that man is yeah. Because like, the thing is, I, I I don't think the 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 Alfred that's in prison. I don't think he's. Innocent. I think the one that's. I think the one that's Fallon visiting him. He's innocent because I think. I think he's being condemned for the wrong crime. You know. I think. I think that this Alfred is the one that killed Hugh Jackman's wife at the start because he's the one that likes magic and likes pushing it, and he's also the one that couldn't resist going to to Hugh Jackman's show that one last time. So like, he's getting condemned for the wrong crime, but he is in fact guilty for something. You know. Huh. Right. Interesting. One thing I thought might be the case, but I was wrong. Was that. Like, I thought one was more into magic and one was more just, like, normal, I guess, you know, into people. And that, like, yeah. that person that was just not as into magic was, like, like liked both of the girls, but they both liked one each, I guess. Um, so, like, I, don't, I have no idea of, like, differentiating who's who, but... I like yeah. to think the one at the end is the one that loved rebecca hall and that actually was his kid that's the vibe oh, I got. yeah because that, that might be true because um he's willing to give the uh the tricks away at yeah. the end to coldwell to like the guy that represents coldwell so um yeah he felt like he was the one that uh liked rebecca but uh, i'm not sure or sarah yeah. whatever it was i think yeah <laughs> I think Scarlett Johansson's character, like I think her her story, like every time I watch this film, whenever it gets to her part, I always forget whose side she ends up with. I'm always like, oh no, because she, she, she works with him. But then she, I remember she was like a double edge, but like, oh, she's a triple edge. Like, fuck. <laughs> I think, um, she, like, she's, it, it, I think when she gets involved, it, it becomes really compelling, like because that's like another added element or like you know another person to trust or not. Yeah. Well, at the table scene. I'm like, oh, this is fine. You know, you've got like, you know, they're both each with their partners or whatever. But then I realized, oh, both the partners think it's the same guy. Mm. And then there's, there's this other weird guy that's just like, you know, sitting <laughs> that's on, just like, on what the is side. So like, that would be so confusing for both of them, you know. Um, Absolutely. But then, oh, one really cool thing about Sarah's character this time I realized was that she knew, um, she knew at the end that, um, you know, the whole thing about Borden because she was, like, freaking out about it and she was like, like, I know who you are and I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell ScarJo and everything, so. I didn't even get that. So she she figured out that, that he's a twin. I think so, yeah, at the end. But yeah, yeah, she, she, she doesn't, she, it's, she says, I know who you are and, like, I know what you are, rather. So, like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I guess so then. That's interesting. But that's that's another, like, this conversation we're having about like which twin is which at any given scene is like an element I wasn't even thinking of this time. And that's an element I'm going to look out for on another rewatch, you know, that's like, it's another, oh, it just right. keeps getting deeper. Like I, I didn't even think about that at all, but that's totally true. The I'm thing is like, like, you know, like they would put in like a different performance for each one. So like, you know, there should be a way to distinguish which one is which, you know? Yeah. I, I, 
hundred percent there is. I guarantee you, you can Google it and someone's figured it out, like every scene. But like that's no fun. <laughs> yeah. We talked a lot about how entertaining the actual feud is itself, just in terms of the order of events. And I mean, I, th- I feel like it's it, oh, it's just it's brutal, you know. And, and just seeing each other, them go to each other's shows. It's like every time like, I'd seen this movie, but I'd forgotten some of the elements, and I was like, Jesus Christ! Like when Borden goes to Angie's show and kills the bird on stage. I like audibly winced. I was like, oh, Jesus, that was brutal. And then, oh, it's just, it's gnarly. It's like, oh, God. And then when Angier fell and broke his leg too, that's another one. He bought and got rid of the bean bag or the sandbag or whatever the hell. There's just like constant moments like that. And, of course, when Borden shot, that's like the, the big one when he shot in the leg. Oh, no, sorry, when Angier shot in the leg. Wait, right? No. Borden shot. Borden shot in the hand in the... In the hand, and Angie shot in the leg, right? Oh no, I'm sorry. No, Angie is I'm, he broke his leg, like yeah, I just said. Leg. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> There's a bullet wound and a leg situation going on. I got there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, all that stuff. As just as I was watching the movie, I was just like, "God damn, this is so messed up." And like seeing how, of course, from uh, Sarah, Rebecca, whatever, uh, hangs herself too. It's like, jeez, man, this is just. So messed up. Mm-hmm. Don't oh. be a wife, man. Yeah, don't be. Yeah, that's good. That's advice. right. That's so true. I always thought Scarjo is the only one that survives, right? I always thought she got. She was like in the tank at some point, but um, that was the first one. Mm-hmm. That tank scene is really great as well. Like that death, and just you know, um, like rushing to towards the tank to try and like break it and everything. And, and the way Michael Caine's standing there off screen and they do it earlier too, they establish it, that he has to time it and he's sitting there with the stopwatch and he, and he has no hesitation. He's standing there with the top stopwatch and oh, the second yeah. it's past the time, he just runs straight out there with the axe. Like it's no, it, it, it was really great. Yeah. Um, Plus how it like figures into Angier, like he says, you know, the whole line about the sailor, you know, it was like going, uh, yeah. like that was, drowning, that was like terrific. going to sea and the end is like, his agony, and then fucking Borden shows up. That's yeah, so, that, that was that, so good. That death there was like really like, um, just like memorable, I guess. The way she like, uh, like gulps her air and stuff, and like, no, totally. I think that actress, I don't know who she is, who plays Angie's first wife. She was great. She's in only in like, I think she's in like four scenes. Um, but like, she, she's terrific. And then that combined with the death scene itself, like, really, I totally bought into Angie's motivation here, you know, on the surface anyway. I talked about like the deeper motivation or whatever, but yeah, <laughs> in yeah. terms of in terms of the His bitter moments are really like Hugh Jackman's acting and like the bitter moments are really great. And just like yeah, like his initial reaction just like with the the crying scene, like with the you know, he has a face in the in the in the sink or whatever. Um no, yeah. But like every time he's like um you know, he's talking about how he's obsessed with. He doesn't want. He doesn't want anything. He just wants the uh, the his tricks or whatever. That's really great. Yeah, and that scene um at the when they're at her funeral too, the the first wife's funeral. Oh yeah. He's yeah. like asking for the first time which night he died. And he's like upset. He doesn't know. Like you don't know. Oh yeah. The the um like the cinematography when it's like the just that whole set is really great just like the the white and like film looks really great but like 
That's like an example, I guess. Wally Fister really robbed us all of some great cinematography by retiring. Well, yeah, after Johnny, Johnny Depp retired him. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, he hasn't done anything since Transcendence, right? Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Hoyt's pretty good too, so it's okay. That's a great point, Fitzy. And just, but just in general for me, like all of the, just every time we're at a show, like there are so many scenes where we're in a theatre in London somewhere, you know, and they just all feel so lively. And like every time like something crazy happens in front of the audience, it's never lost on you, you know, like when friggin', like she, that, like that great scene we were already talking about, she literally dies in front of the audience. Like Jesus Christ, you know, that shit's messed up. Hmm. But I just feel like it all looks so great and I don't know, it's, it's, so bloody good. Something else known as this time, there's probably something deeper to it, but there are clear parallels, and the movie makes a point to bring it up, you know, between the feud Angier has with Borden and the feud Tesla has with Edison, you know. I thought that was oh, yeah. a little interesting tidbit to throw in there, you know. It's good, like, um, like the birth of, you know, electricity or whatever it is, like, that's a good, like, backdrop for it. Because, yeah. like... Like, advancements in technology, you know, are like, you know, they seem like they can't be done, though. they seem like magic. So it's kind of, yeah, or like, as the film's like saying about the Tesla's invention, like, scientific inventions or like, enhancements seem impossible, but, yeah. That's like every Nolan film, though, right? Like, some new technology is like, you know, on the brink of like, being understood or... That's totally true. That's totally true. Yeah, and I mean, I guess we see all that, like it, the first Colorado scene when like the all the light bulbs, mm, you know, in the mm, ground. Mm. That's a great, I like that too. I want to know if this is just a me thing, okay? And uh, completely coincidental that uh, Fitzy, this may or may not come up in a, another review soon. Pet peeve of mine in movies, just never like when an actor plays two roles. Never like it. I just, you know, Hugh Jackman, you're terrific. Really didn't need you to play the double as well, you know. And it's like, I just it just takes me out of the movie when the, 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 all the characters, like in such a believable movie, when all the characters are like, "Oh, we got this guy. He's like the spitting image of you, Angie," and it's literally just Hugh Jackman. Like, you know, it just it always takes me out of the movie because I'm just like, "Yeah, no shit, he looks like him because he is him," you know. And you're playing, and then every scene they're in together, it makes me constantly like, even though it's obviously done very well. It makes me constantly like try and nitpick the visual effects because I know I'm looking at a visual effect when they when both Hugh Jackmans are talking to each other. You know, always annoys yeah. me in movies. I don't know if I'm alone on that. Probably. Yep. No, you are. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're alone. Yeah. Maybe don't watch Enemy then. Oh, okay. It's fine when like Hugh Jackman's the clone himself because he's a clone. Right, but when like you're telling me this is a different human being that just looks similar, it's like oh, he just saw. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Right. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like oh, this we found this guy in the bar. Oh, he right. sort of looks like you, Hugh Jackman, but, but it is, is, but it exactly. is. Just, I, I'm right, not dumb, right. like I know, and it, it just takes me out of the movie. Like the audience knows it's just Hugh Jackman, so it's like what you're telling me is wrong. I know it, you know. Whereas, yeah, I'm fine with clones and shit. Don't get me wrong. So, do you have a problem with with Christian Bale as two people or not? No, 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 because they're twin, they're twin brothers, right? And that's the yeah, whole idea. Right, you know right. what I'm saying? Okay. When, when the, yeah, I hope I'm, sorry, I hope yeah, I'm making okay. this clear. When no, the movie yeah. says this is a different person that looks like you, no shit, it is you, you know? Right, right. Um, anyway, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, was there anything else to say about the, the score? Because I do think, I think it's a solid score, but I just think that 
you know, it's, that, that's one of those things that for me is like, again, the Nolan comparisons, the rankings, it's like, it's not, it's not up there, you know? So it sort of falls by the wayside a little bit in terms of the, you know, looking at the rest of the movie, I think. I just think it blends in and complements it more, you know, like I, when you're going with Hans or someone big, you know, uh, maybe it's just because of early career, you know, like like Nolan definitely had to shift in, you know, he always tries to go bigger and better with each of his subsequent films. So like maybe that big sound hadn't been developed yet. So like, it's like, but I quite like that this one's a bit more understated in that it just kind of filters in the background. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. I don't know who did it though. It's not Hans. No. David Julian, who also worked on Memento and Insomnia and following. Ah, of course. Okay. Okay. So the OG, the guy who got dumped for Hans, you know, and then Hans is now dumped. Hans is now dumped. (laughs) Oh, and Doodlebug. Oh, geez. This this guy was literally with him from the start. Like his first like three minute short film. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> no, I was like, sorry, mate. You know, I'm I'm big in Hollywood now. Um, see you later. So why why do you like Angie more though? I'm just curious. That's interesting. I feel like the the film is rooted more in his perspective. Uh, I get a better sense of who he is. You know, like he's. I think he's he's more villainous. I think he's more messed up than Borden. I think. Um. I don't root for him for any reason to do with that. He's a better person than Borden. I just, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I understand him better, if that makes sense. I, like when he's sitting there and, you know, everyone's like, dude, why are, you, why are you bothering with this shit? Like, why are you going, don't go to Colorado and, you know, why? And, and he's like, I just believe him wholeheartedly when he's like, you know, this trick, like we already said, you know, this the, the, discovering the, the secret of this trick is the only thing that matters to me or topping this trick or whatever. I just, I'm just invested in that, you know. Even though, like, I see the, I see the huge flaw in it. Obviously, like, it's it's very problematic, but he feels like Borden feels more reactionary to that, I guess. Oh, okay. Well, do you know if these were all like massive sets that they built, or did they find locations that kind of still had this bit of a, you know, 1890s look? That's a great question. I don't know the exact. Because if if they built sets for this, and that's very very fucking impressive what they've done, because like they are. They look great, every single one. I don't know. I know, like, I know they shot in Colorado for those scenes. I know that. I feel, I don't know. I, I, I feel like those theaters can't be built. You know? Yeah. I feel like those are probably refurbished theaters. But great point nonetheless. I know Nathan Crawley, I believe is his name, Nolan's production designer, someone who he actually hasn't dumped, believe it or not, the whole time um, <laughs> on every film. He's terrific. And, uh, just everything from the way if the theatres are refurbished, I'm just making that up, I don't know, but if they are super well done. But mainly for me, it's actually the the sets like behind the scenes, like whenever we're in like the dressing rooms or yeah. whatever. Like those are, those are really great, great sets, I think. Um, oh, the only other trivia was the main character's initials spell Abra, Alfred Borden, Robert Angier, as in Abracadabra. Whoa, that's the biggest trick of the ball, guys. You know, actually, I, I I don't like how he said abracadabra as he as he was hung, Hank. Uh, it <laughs> felt, it felt, felt a bit cheap. It was like you could have said anything a bit more impactful, a bit more related to the movie. You know, I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He could have said something really poignant, and he said abracadabra. 
I mean, I get it though. Like, yeah. it, it's because it coincides with the reveal. It's sort of like it feels like Nolan just like like it feels like Nolan go, Nolan going like Abigail, you fuckers! Like you didn't get you didn't notice that it was Christian Bale the whole time. You dumbasses! You know, it felt pretty baller actually in that way. I guess. Are we ready for our final verdicts on the Prestige? Great, great, Jaden. Yeah, I'll 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 slap a big fat nine on it. I feel like it probably should. You know, I, th- I think this goes back to something I, I mentioned a long time ago about just personal connection being the being the final step to a ten, and this one just doesn't doesn't quite nix that. You know, so yeah, nine. It's a big ten for me. One of my favorite movies, man. If you haven't seen it? We've just ruined it, but go watch it. You know, uh, Fitzy. I'm also gonna give it a big fat nine. Um, yeah, maybe because J- well, James, just because I've seen it so many times, but yeah. Still a big sure. number, yeah. Huge number, huge number. Yeah. You know, it's like it's the second highest number. Huge. I love that you say big fat nine. Like, I, I definitely want to keep that going. I'll try and remember it next time I give a nine. Did you say big fat ten for modern OK last week? I think you might have. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, all right, let's get into news chat. Squid Game 2 is in the works, according to its creator, Huang Dong Hyuk. Uh, <laughs> no comment. Has this, uh, he has a story outline for the show. He's commented on that. Netflix says a second season is in discussions, but not yet confirmed. But you fucking kidding me? Of course it's coming. Like, well, in what universe wouldn't they greenlight this, you know? Mm. Um, greenlight? Huh. Good one. In the show, in the show, that was great. That was a good one. Um, I don't know, but I just wanted to use this as a bit of a springboard to ask if you'd be interested in a second season of this show, Fitzy, because it does. I mean, I can see this the the, the the perspective that ends on a cliffhanger, I guess. But I'm also like, it's one of those cliffhangers where it's like, yeah, you could keep going, but you also don't need to, you know. Well, I don't like the ending of the first one where he like turns away from the plane. Nah, like, what's what's he gonna do? You know, don't spoil it. That's well for people that haven't seen it, although oh, like okay. ninety percent of people have probably seen it. Oh, oh, oh okay, yeah, no, that's. Uh, right. I'm sorry, I feel like I presented this assuming we'd spoil it, but that's oh, that's, that's a fair point. You've done it, whatever. Just keep going, Fitzy. Keep going. It's okay. I appreciate you pointing it out, though, Jane. You both didn't like the ending. Sorry. The yeah, well, well, if you can do another season, can you just do? You can't just really do like you know, another Squid Game thing or, like, another thing where you just do the same thing, you know. You kind of have to change it a bit, like, with, like, um, well, like, Catching Fire, for example, or, like, The Hunger Games, um, you know, that developed, I guess, and you could you could do another, you know, eight episodes just with different characters, but it would probably be just a worse version of the first season, you know, so, like... I guess you have to add something there, but like, I guess I'm not that interested in this good game universe, you know, because it's just, mm. I don't know. Yeah. You didn't yeah. go as the uh, the pink dudes for Halloween? People did that. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, hear, I mean, I feel like they'd have to strike a balance. Like if it's called Squid Game, that obviously there's going to be the second season would have the Squid Game, you know, would have the mm. competition. But you're continuing the story of that protagonist, right? So it's like, yeah. Well, are they going to pull a Katniss? Like, would he be in it again? To your point, or would he be like, 
would he be like fighting on the outside? You know, I don't know. Well, that's the thing because like, I'd kind of imagine his storyline is going to become something similar to what the police guy's storyline was in this, where he tries to infiltrate, but like, because you, you can't do that because like that's what that's already been told as well. So like, yeah, yeah. That's a great point. I think, I think whatever happens, like the actual game himself has to serve more of it as a backdrop rather than a feature for what's coming. I, I, right. I, yeah. Because yeah. that's kind of what they did in Catching Fire, right? Like kind of. No, Catching Fire was still developed. like majorly like about the games. Yeah. I, I, they, they, they developed the games in an interesting way, right? Like they felt very different than the first one. The first one was kind of like very vanilla but in the second one you had like the whole clock thing and everything so like, the game itself was more interesting but also like there was a whole like big commentary in that film about like rising state you know the rising factions and everything districts so like you need to add they added something there but yeah so in terms of what they'd add here like i can't i think i think you're right i think you're spot on it's like what what else are they gonna add other than uh now pink haired guy you know, infiltrating the games, which as you, you're totally right, we've seen that. So it's like, I guess you'd want to, I guess you'd throw them in the games, but then it's like, all right. I did like the ending though. I'll say that. So, but I like it as an ending. I don't want to, yeah. I don't need to see anymore. You know, I don't need to. I just like the idea of like that, that, that arc for him. He's just, he's, he's done fucking ran, you know, he's done, he's going to fucking do something about it, you know, and that's great. Just leave it there. Like I, I know he's going to, I know he's going to do that and that's cool. I don't really need to see it. But anyway. Um, Chris Columbus wants to direct Harry Potter and the Cursed Child movie with the original trio. This is a funny new story because just a dude who wants to do something. But uh, nonetheless, I wanted to throw it at you, Jaden. Is this something you'd want to see with this? I mean, I, I, we'd all go and see it, I'm sure. But, like, how much does that get your juices going instead of something like Fantastic Beasts, you know, in terms of, like, Harry Potter movie possibilities? I don't know if I've mentioned it on the show or if we've only discussed it like post show, but like I'm not a fan of the Cursed Child. Um, mm. I, mean, yeah, I think it's a it's a light to decent five at best. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like the, the 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 prospect of like adapting that material itself it doesn't really excite me in much. Taking Dan, Rupert, and Emma, and then chucking them back in. You know, it's time spent in the Harry Potter universe, which is time spent well but yeah like hmm. yeah it's interesting i mean i definitely see it that maybe would make a ton of money obviously no doubt oh fuck yeah no doubt no doubt you know i think it'll happen i'm just gonna say it i don't know if chris columbus is gonna direct is that something that excites you at all like the thought of him specifically or does that not really because he was only around for the first two yeah and you know like they they were uh, you know that was still nice movies but they were more child orientated and like I, I don't know much about his filmography i know he's also done horrible alone um so i don't know like if he'd necessarily be the right choice i think i prefer david yates to come back but you know if he wants to I do it you know let him sure <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah yeah i don't know like those first two movies are definitely the weakest you know in my opinion anyway and it's just like okay I mean, I'm sure he'd do a good job. I think this movie's going to happen, though. I mean, they've already, they've already got a script, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just think it's I just think it's such yeah. easy money that you can't like. If you're Warner Brothers, why would you not do this? 
you know. The thing is that the, he says like the kids are the right age, but they're not because I'm pretty sure in the book they're 40, but they're only Yeah, 30. they're not the right age. I don't yeah, know what he's talking they're, about. they're 30 now, so like. I mean, unless he's just saying that's close enough. Yeah. I, I, I think this movie will happen within the next 10 years. Um, I don't think it'll, you know, I don't think it'll be anytime soon. I think, you know, we'll have to get through Fantastic Beasts first, but uh, once all eight of those movies are done, you know. Well, I just think it's interesting where the cast is at now and whether the cast would be willing to come back. I think Daniel would come back in a heartbeat. I think he'd not that he's necessarily stuck here. I think he's had quite a prolific career as an indie star and I think he's done well, but I think he still respects it enough to go back. You know, Mm. Rupert's kind of on the fringes of acting, like he's still still here and there, but he's not doing too much. So I'd be curious to see what he'd want to do. And I feel like Emma Watson kind of wants to leave it in the past a bit, you know, kind of move on from Harry Potter. So, like, whether she'd want to go back to it is interesting. Yeah, definitely. Tom Felton would go back in a heartbeat, though. Yeah. Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> He'll be right back on it. That's so, that's so true. Um, but, I, yeah, I think I think you're right, but I think it's one of those situations where, like, we, every actor who plays an iconic role in, in iconic franchise movies, like they're always in this boat and they almost always come back, you know, mm. in some capacity at some point, right? Like Michael Keaton's better be Batman, you know? So it's like it, it always comes around eventually. So I feel like I feel like it will for everyone just to know, like when will the timing be right? Right. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, to your point, I don't know if they'd all say yes today. Probably not. But what about you, Fitzy? Does this... Does this get you excited? I don't, have you even read The Cursed Child? Do you even know this story? That's that's my question. Um, no, I haven't read it, but I think I do know some of the story. Like the son gets placed in, you know, Slytherin, and yeah, there's like time travel. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Who true, true. who would be cast as like <laughs> young Harry? Oh, James. Young, what's his yeah, name? Yeah. Albus Potter. What's the main one's name? Like, Albus. He is like Albus. Albus. Albus is the main one. Okay. Yeah. You could have like Scorpius. Who's that? You know, <laughs> I don't know. He's a little blonde piece of shit. <laughs> Joffrey in there, yeah. Oh yeah. He's oh, probably yeah. too old. He's probably too oh, old. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, but like yeah. seven years ago, Tom Gleeson, perfect. Time travel. You know, <laughs> it's in the movie. Sorry, Fitzy, I, I cut you off. I think. Who do you have as a young Harry James? No, Elvis. Timothy oh, yeah. Chalamet. Put him there. You know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There is an older son as well, though. So, I mean, like, because there is a James. So, like. That's right. Yeah. That's right. He's like the dickhead son, right? I think. I think he's he's the more Harry Potter type son. Yeah, yeah. So, the dickhead son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. But, uh, yeah, t- put Timothy in that role. That'd be good. That'd be good. They'll, they'll get some child actor to be Albus Hutton, though. And he'll be the next Daniel Radcliffe and be an indie movie for the next 20 years. Mm. It'll be great. Had they filmed it, like, right now, I think he'd probably give. Finn Wolfhard a chance if he had a decent English accent. Oh. Oh, yeah. That's a big if, though. Yeah. As always, now we hand the show over to you with our question of the show. Last week we asked you, how much do spoilers impact your enjoyment of viewing cinema? Andy said, I'm actually writing an answer on Discord this time. What? I know, right? Anyways. I'm not too fussed about spoilers myself. Most of the films that I've been spoiled on 
had already been out for 10 years or more already, and I still enjoy the viewing of the film regardless of the spoiler. I believe the only thing that people should be concerned about spoilers is TV shows, because that's a long journey to take on. And in some, and if some random C word that rhymes with runt decides to ruin your enjoyment by revealing something, all the time and energy following the series goes to waste. Those were my sister's words based on her experience with Gossip Girl, not mine. Yeah. You don't want it to be spoiled who Gossip Girl was, guys. You don't want that. This actually was a quite a more of a thought-provoking question than I thought. I'm glad we I'm glad we did it. Uh, we got some more for you. Luke said, I suppose it depends on what the spoiler is. If it's the twist at the end of the movie or if it's a really important plot point, that sucks. Like if someone said the plot of Endgame was time travel before watching it, that would suck. But if it's a spoiler cameo, that's fine because then I'll be watching the movie in anticipation for the cameo. Okay, okay. Because cameos are like, they're, they're, they're a sort of different tier of spoiler, I get ya. Um, Aiden said, so long as it doesn't impact the overall arc of the film, I don't mind. The most recent example I could think of, someone told me what happened in the Venom 2 stinger scene. Yes, it's a spoiler, but the description of the scene almost in no way suggests to me what happened in the story, how the protagonist overcame the story problem, etc. The only thing I know is that the protagonists survive Sport, huge spoilers for Venom. Let there be carnage, guys. Uh, something I had expected, indeed. Um, I wrote in the Discord that that was a terrific example, actually. Just uh, ran uh, many other examples like it, but that's a very specific one that's relevant right now, is that I know that spoiler. And as I said in there, I would be annoyed if I cared about the movie that I know that spoiler. But I also wouldn't know about it if I cared about the movie because I went and looked at it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. Um so yeah, there are different there are different tiers to this. Fitzy, do you where, where are you? Are you would a cameo post credit scene spoiler annoy you as much as it well, would post credit post credit scene spoiler is fine because that means it's Marvel or DC, you know, it's not an important film. No, but <laughs> it's not I simple. think yeah, oh yeah, well, spoilers are bad, obviously, but um, I think like th- thinking about spoilers are worse than you know, the actual experience of watching the film and then something is spoiled to you, unless it's like a really major spoiler um, that affects the movie a lot, like, you know, The Prestige or, um, you know, Seven or something like that. But, like, with TV shows that have been spoiled on and, like, characters' deaths and stuff, it's pretty, like, pretty bad because you're watching that show the whole time and you're thinking, oh, this guy's dead in this way by him later on you know or maybe you don't know the specifics which is better i guess but like spoilers usually make me want to watch something straight away just get it like out of my head i guess because like i don't want to be like think like worrying that i like missed that i like that you know this film's gonna be um worse for me because it's spoiled or like i don't know i just if i want to watch it and I'm spoiled, then I, I'll like, you know, I definitely want to just get that, watch that straight away. But, um, yeah, it's hard to tell in the moment how much the spoils affect you because you can't do both, you know. You don't have, like, an alternate timeline but yeah. to experiment off, but, yeah. You know, have a twin brother you can subject to the other. Oh, yes, that would yeah. be perfect, dude. <laughs> well, maybe you do. I don't know. Are you hiding something, Fitzy? Kid, kids in the closet have been awfully quiet recently. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, no, that's all. 
it's all very interesting. I, the point about the TV show that Andy brought up is a great one, and I'm really glad he brought it up because I probably wouldn't have thought of it. Um, but I think that's also a huge distinction to make. I would be – I totally agree with him. I'd be much more annoyed – I hate spoilers, but I'd be much more annoyed at TV show spoilers because, yeah, you're, you're looking at anywhere between, what, I don't know, roughly 10 to possibly 60 hours of your time, you know, and that's a big – commitment that's a big thing that impacts that compared to a film you know but yeah where do you where do you sit with the jane take it however you want it's it's, it's interesting that you mentioned tv because like i essentially knew like the first five seasons of game of thrones like fucking beat for beat before i started watching it just because of how just from conversations and stuff yeah i think a lot of people like, i think that's an interesting example because i think a lot of people do know you know ned sucks heads chopped off in the you know episode nine of the first season and like Oh well, if you're killing the main character, that it, it, it's an intriguing point for them. So it works as like something like that, which is which is to the effect that Liam was talking about. Mm. But you know, I think obviously the best experience is is an un- untainted one. You know, going with your own mind without expectations or whatever. And so I'm just trying to avoid like every possible thing with no time to die. Like because I I saw something and I was like. You know, like I don't want to even look at like a single clip from the film now. I don't want to look. I don't know. I don't like. You know, like I watched that first right. trailer or, or whatever from like that long ago, and like that is the only thing I have to go based off. And like I don't want to know anything else before tonight. I just want to have it as pure of an experience as I can from this point. The day I saw Endgame, um, it was like a nightmare. Fucking, it was like a nightmare, <laughs> nightmare like Survivor Minecraft um, like, <laughs> session at school. Because oh, like, right. half the people like knew something big happened or something. So I was like, I'm like, I'm seeing this tonight, you know, with Luke and Lockie. So I'm like, I tried to avoid it all day and I did. And it was awesome when, you know, the ending happened. Um, so yeah, that was like crazy. But yeah. 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 I'm That's glad thing, you, you know, like, enjoyed that. Products are so popular. Like it, it's hard to avoid, like already with Eternals, like, you know, with some of the reveal, like the reveal at, at the post credits, you know, has, has been pretty publicized on media so it's kind of hard Ooh. to avoid and stuff i haven't i don't know that's excites me well i didn't know there was something like that that's cool i mean it's like you know it's cool if you're in if, you, if you're hyper into it but like you know for a casual watcher it's not oh shit now i'm not excited <laughs> i feel like i'm probably like i'm the most extreme against spoilers person i've ever met you know which feels like a weird sentence but I just can't. I can't stand it in any capacity. That that no time to die thing, Jaden, for you. Like, I totally get what you mean because then that I assume. I don't, obviously got no specifics, but I assume you have like a little sliver of something that then, if you were to see any footage, would recontextualize it in a way where it would. Get oh no, no, going. no! Like no, this is what I know is like a hundred percent definite, and like it's like oh, it's just a black and white thing. Yeah, and it's like just oh. ruined for oh, me. Oh, okay. Okay. And like, oh, like so, like now, just trying to protect the sanctity of the rest of it, you know. Mm. Okay. 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 So I, I was wrong about that, but but do you know what I mean? Like, where there are situations, I experience this where you know, like, I get a little like something that's not a spoiler, explicitly. Like mm. most people probably would probably wouldn't bother most people, most normal mm. people. But for me, it's like just a little something like I can't even think of an example off the top of my head. That's just a little. Not, no, yeah. It's not an event. It's not like this happens. It's like. Oh well, keep an eye out for this person, or like, oh, when that happened to the, in in the third act, that was crazy, you know, like, or just shit like that. When you hear little, 
like little murmurs. I hate that shit. And then because then whenever I watch like a trailer, it's like it recontextualizes the way I look at it and makes me my brain start going like thinking of possibilities, and I can't. I hate it. Well, the thing is, like, uh, it's quite a while ago I saw it. I saw the comment like saying that there's a plot twist in the movie is a spoiler in itself. That because then you know you're anticipating the plot twist. You know, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great example of that. Like if I am very extreme, I just can't, I can't handle that shit. Like I'm, don't tell me anything about anything to do with that. If there's a plot twist or whatever, like just the other day, someone was, uh, who will remain anonymous said to me, oh, the opening scene of Eternals, I can tell you about the opening scene, right? I'm like, absolutely not. You cannot. Absolutely not. Like, <laughs> I, I don't care where, like to me, it's a completely irrelevant when it takes place. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to, a film is an experience just because like, well, it's not like the further you get into a movie, like the, the, the bigger spoilers are. It's not like the last scene of the movie is the most spoiler-filled, you know? There's no distinction for me. It's not like, oh, I'll tell you the ending. Like, the idea that the ending is the only thing you can spoil is ridiculous completely, in my opinion. Craziness. Like, Jane, like I would like the whole like Ned, knowing Ned Stark thing, like that would – I, I might have never watched Game of Thrones, you know? Yeah, but I feel like everyone knows about that thing. Like, like I think I, like just, I just everyone does. I, di- I didn't when I watched it. Well, how maybe, how, maybe how late did you watch now. it? Like, when did you when like what year did you start watching? What season did you join up? Um, I had five seasons. Oh, holy shit! Right. So, so yeah. I can't believe that you didn't know that then. To be honest, no, no, I had no clue. Um, because no I feel like by that point of the internet, like I, you know, I feel like everyone knew that. But that's another interesting element of it, wrinkle of it, is it's sort of how you engage with the internet is also a very important element here, you know? Like for me, like I don't, you know, I'm not super in on like memes and pop, like modern pop culture in the in the social media sense, right? So I don't see a lot of that stuff where that might have been. But as someone who looks at IMDb a lot, I've been spoiled by stuff um, seeing that, an actor doesn't appear in a show past a certain year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, that, yeah. That's the a massive of, one. The amount of Alan sucks ass. Yeah. 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 I've become very conscious of that, actually. Um, I, I sort of can't make that mistake again. Well, just like searching up anything about the show if you're watching it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a very common one for me that I am very conscious of as well. So, yeah, no, there are a lot of, la- there are a lot of layers to spoilers. But, uh, Spoilers suck. Don't spoil shit for people, okay? If you're someone who spoils shit for people, just stop listening to the show. Delete the show. Can you do that? Can you delete it? I no. Unfollow it. Block it. No, no. You can undownload it because we all know undownload all our listeners it. download our show. So. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know if anyone's ever downloaded our show. I hope someone has. All right. We'd love you to submit your question source reviews for next week's film in the YouTube comment section. Send us a DM on Instagram or join the Discord server. Uh, this week we're asking you, what is your favorite Christopher Nolan film? You've only got some of the best movies ever made to choose from. No pressure. Let us know in all those places and we'll read your questions, your answers to the question out next week. Um, that's it for this week's episode of Cinema Effect. Fitzy, what are we watching next week? We're doing Tom Cruise poll winner number five. Um, Edge. <laughs> oh my god! Edge of Tomorrow. It's on Netflix and on Foxtel, so it's on everything. I knew my my nomination was going to be a bit weak, but you know, it held its own though. It was it was yeah. Paul saved me in the end. Like you I had guess. some votes. Yeah. 
I actually would have been fine with Poltergeist too. So, mm. actually, I, I arguably would have preferred it. Actually, that's one of those weird things. <laughs> well, like, I don't know what you're going to nominate. So, <laughs> um, that's weird. Anyway, thanks guys for joining me. As always, thank you to the listeners. Thank you to Luke, and uh, we'll see you all next time. Please do take care, and have a great weekend. Goodbye.